and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Hey, if you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning, and you are going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating. Yes. Now, this episode I know got up a little bit late. I have to apologize again. It's kind of been crazy, uh, you know. <laughs> having technology issues among other things and so we were a little bit delayed getting this episode up but it's up now we're here everything is awesome it's october things are cooling off that means it's halloween yes this is halloween with your dog we got to talk about everything that goes into halloween with your dog guys there are a few safety things we got to think about some fun things we got to think about so we're going to cover all of that then we have a segment on extending the stay Do you have a hard time getting your dog to sit still? And more importantly, to sit still for a long period of time, we're going to talk about how to get that happening. Then comes the first pets, followed by the listener Q&A. Hey, and if you guys have uh, questions for the listener Q&A, you can email me. Keep them coming my way. Questions at speakadogcast.com or feel free to message me on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's episode, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, how long do bears hibernate? Yes, how long do bears hibernate? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, this is Halloween with your dog. A lot to think about on Halloween when it comes to pets. You know what first comes to mind for everybody? It's going to be the candy, the food, all the stuff that is delicious to us may not be so delicious to your dog. Well, your dog might find it delicious, <laughs> but hey, there's a lot of things that are not so good for your dogs when it comes to any of the holidays and especially Halloween. So, you know, that's some of it. And then, of course, there's people dressing their dogs up in costumes. And then there's the trick-or-treaters and actually night of trick-or-treating and having your dogs out and answering the door. And there are a few things to consider. And, you know, I wanted to do this segment before we actually get to Halloween so you guys can practice some of this. Put this into play before Halloween comes. It's going to be a little bit easier than trying to handle it in the moment. Of course, training is always about being, uh, you know, proactive not reactive, right? We talked about that recently. Try to be proactive in your training and you want to head off bad behaviors before they become a bad behavior, right? So let's talk about Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays. I love it. You know, when we were in Orlando, we used to throw a giant Halloween party. It was awesome. Uh, We had a really, we had a great little front yard with a sidewalk that kind of curved up to the front of the house. You had a lot of space to put cool decorations. And I I mean, I went all out with the lighting, the decor, everything. It was awesome. Uh, (laughs) So I always have a lot of fun with Halloween. How could you not? Uh, you know, hey, some people are into the pumpkin spice thing. I'm, I, I like pumpkin flavor. I don't know about the pumpkin spice necessarily, eh. uh, <laughs> but I do enjoy We used to get a keg of pumpkin beer for the party always. That was, always, that was a lot of fun. Uh, it, was, it was always delicious. And have, you know, pumpkin uh, whiskey and pumpkin. Oh man, we, we went crazy, but we always had to think about our dogs. We did. And look, we had at this party, we had a we had a dining room full of delicious treats. We did sweet and savory stuff. And a lot of it was not so good for the dogs, guys. So my own dogs, thank goodness, you know, I, I trained them. <laughs> 
They knew a leave it command really well. And they'd occasionally, like, occasionally kind of see them go up with maybe a little sniff here, but you tell them to leave it, they'd leave it. They never actually tried to grab anything off the table. My, my dogs back then were so good. Nemo, I don't know that we could trust 100% yet right now. Again, that was one of his biggest problems when we adopted him was the counter surfing and grabbing stuff and no boundaries. Um, but anyway, it's something you got to think about, right? Look, I have to give the warning first and foremost. I really do, because obviously this is a candy-centric holiday. Guys, artificial sweeteners. There's the one big one we have to talk about, xylitol. Now, this is probably more for my American friends, because I mean, I'll be honest, a lot of other countries, they ban stuff like this for good reason. Uh, look, xylitol is an artificial sweetener. Sweetener, It's bad stuff. Guys, it's being used in place of sugar, in place of a lot of other sweeteners, and it can be very toxic to your dogs. Like I, I can't, you're, you're going to see posts from your vet on, on social media, um, all kinds of people talking about this this month because it's very important. Now, a side note of xylitol, it's not just finding its way into candy and chocolates and things that are only Halloween centric. Peanut butter is one of the big ones. And that's why I've, I've mentioned it a lot of times on the show because it's very important to note this guy. Seriously, right now, go check your peanut butter in the pantry. Go check the ingredient list and see if that word is on there. If you see xylitol, I would highly recommend getting rid of the peanut butter if you have a dog. That's just my personal thing. So there's no accidents, you know, um, we're not accidentally giving the dog the peanut butter that we shouldn't be giving them. Like in my household, we do natural peanut butter. Every, all, all the main brands, Jif, Peter Pan, uh, Skippy, they all make a natural peanut butter. It's what the end's what they call it. Um, it's their, their marketing for it. But this natural peanut butter tends to use, or not tends to use, it uses real sugar. It, it uses um, sweeteners that are not xylitol. So a very, very important note that's not just for Halloween. Make sure you check um, candy, uh, peanut butters, all these things that could potentially have xylitol in them. Because again, guys, it can be very bad for your dog. Okay, and there's really no telling exactly how a dog might handle it either, size, breed, that kind of thing. So uh, guys, my biggest thing is just be very careful. Keep candy and sweets out of reach, okay? That's first and foremost. But that leave it command, that leave it command is really gonna be your best friend. Because if you've already started hammering in that leave it and working on it with your dog, you should already have been well before Halloween, uh, you should be working that leave it command with food always with your dog. So if you've always been working this leave it command with food, your dogs will tend to be less, uh, will, they, will, they, will, they won't try to go after food as much. Look, that's why my dogs were so fantastic about, we could have a party and have a table of food. We literally would leave them inside and everybody go out and they wouldn't try to touch it, you know? Um, and it's all because we really, really practiced that leave it command over and over with food all the time. Uh, we have pictures years ago, especially we used to have pictures where we would, you know, we sometimes would eat on the couch in front of the TV, sure. And we, I remember one specific one, my wife, it was, it was two. My wife had a burger one time and another time had a steak. And she had it sitting on her lap with the dog asleep next to her, head turned away, doesn't even care there's a steak within eight inches of its face. Like not even a thing. It was awesome. They were, ah, oh man, that's my old pack. Uh, well, you know, Violet's still around and Coco too is technically kind of, she came in halfway through that, that pack iteration, if you will. Um, and Coco and Violet kind of came in within about a year of each other, which is crazy to think. Anyway, so yeah, you know, guys, that leave it command is going to be very important. What happens when you drop a candy bar? What happens when you have a four-year-old who's walking around with a Kit Kat in their hand and a four-year-old that dog head height? You can teach your dog to leave it and your kid can walk around enjoying their candy and dog won't think twice about it. But only if you've practiced that leave it command. 
Okay, we're not going to dive into how to teach to leave it. There's other segments you can go check it out because uh, that's not we're talking about Halloween today. I wanted you to, to utilize that leave it command, but hey, go listen to some other segments if you want to learn how to create that leave it command. All right. Um, but to me, guys, first and foremost, that's just that's the most important thing we have to talk about with Halloween. And for like I said, for most holidays, it's the food. It is the food. It's not good for our dogs. Some of this stuff is downright toxic. Do I even need to talk about the chocolate? Everybody knows chocolate is not good for dogs, and especially dark chocolate, guys. Dark chocolate can be much deadlier, it can be uh, toxic faster, it can really wreak havoc on your dogs, and it can potentially kill them. Serious stuff. There's a lot of chocolate on this holiday. Have I said it? I can't stress that enough. Keep it out of reach. Teach a leave it command. Those are the best things you can do uh, to ensure your dog stays safe with food during Halloween. Now, the next thing we're gonna talk about Look, it's not my favorite thing, but I think we have to discuss it. And this is uh, <sighs> dressing dogs up, dogs in costumes. We have to touch on it because I don't know if I've actually even talked about this, but I mean, I've, I know I've kind of talked about dressing dogs up before, but I don't think I've talked about Halloween specific stuff. Look, guys, why do people dress up their dogs 90% of the time, 95% of the time, 98%? Why do, do why do people dress their dogs up? It's for themselves. Just just be real and own it. You know what I'm saying? You do it for you. You do it for the cute picture, the Instagram clicks and whatever. Uh, you know, that's why you do it. It's not because your dog loves it. Oh, he loves getting dressed up. He gets so excited. I mean, we're not here to play that game, guys. I can't ask my dog, hey, do you enjoy getting dressed up? Oh, you do? Perfect. Let's put this on. Like, Come on. Uh, <laughs> so when it comes to Halloween and costumes, I... I personally don't really like dressing dogs up at all. I just, that's just the honesty. Sure, it's cute for a picture sometimes, but I think people just take it too far. I think there's just no balance to it anymore. The fact that you can walk into a PetSmart or a Petco or any pet store, and I'm not hating on the pet stores, you know, you got to sell stuff. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, when you walk into these pet stores and they literally have an entire freaking aisle 365 days a year dedicated to pet wear come on guys uh, can't you can't spend your money on better things for your dog <laughs> i get the need for a dog that gets cold right there are breeds of dogs that yeah they don't have a they don't have a coat you live in cold weather absolutely my chihuahua but even in florida man it gets below like 78 and the poor thing is cold um you know so yeah when it gets occasionally, rarely, and when we lived in Orlando, it definitely got colder more so than here, uh, we, we would throw a jacket on her for a couple weeks out of the year. Sure. Uh, for, for practical purposes. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where like, yeah, you want to put a costume on your dog? Look, man, teach his own. There's some cute costumes out there. I'll give you that. There's some funny stuff. Gives you a chuckle. I, I'm just... I, I don't know, man. I, I Again, I just think people take it too far, and that's <laughs> that's kind of my gripe with the costumes. Now, with that said, with that said, sometimes putting something on a dog, uh, restricting them, or if your dog has anxiety issues, if your dog's a rescue, we haven't worked through all these things yet, maybe a costume's not the best idea. You know, maybe putting clothes on, if it makes them more anxious and more scared and more fearful, guys, come on, let's, let's, let's keep our head on our shoulders and let's do the right thing. If your dog is fearful of it and they don't like it, that's something you need to work through with a professional first and foremost. Uh, but second, take it off. You know, don't, don't take the costume off of them if they are clearly 
not enjoying it. I mean, again, can't ask them, but there are body language signals and signs we all look for. Uh, and if they're giving them off, guys, pop the costume off. That simple. So yeah, kind of the long way to say it. I'm not a big fan of the costumes. Teach his own for the cute picture. But guys, let's remember, they're dogs. They don't need clothing. It's not a necessity unless they need it for warmth. Uh, so just, just, just be logical about it. That's all I ask. <laughs> all right. Now, Halloween night. There's, it, it's not like it's 4th of July or New Year's. We don't have fireworks going off, but at the same time, your doorbell's ringing every freaking 10 seconds. <laughs> your dog is gonna go, what is going on? This is crazy. So I look at Halloween as one of the best training opportunities for the front door. It is a, a like the most amazing way to desensitize your dog. You only got one night to do it, but man, you got a hundred times to do it. Um, Look, I loved, I had client dogs on Halloween quite a few times. Now, here where I live now, we don't get trick-or-treaters anymore. It's just a, a property where we are, just we, we don't really have neighbor. We don't have trick-or-treaters. So I miss that a bit, I'm not going to lie. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of cool, always cool to see the kids and their costumes and everybody doing their thing. And you know, I love Halloween. Parents coming around, giving a, you know adult beverage to the parents, candy to the kids. Everybody's having fun. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I miss that. But when we lived up uh, in the Orlando area, we had regular trick-or-treaters, and I loved having the client dogs there because, like I said, it is an opportunity to desensitize this, right? Um, so to desensitize them to that front door. So here, here's what you're going to do. Look, first of all, again, we're not, we're not here to talk about the very specifics of how to create the front door. There's plenty of segments dedicated to the front door. Got to go back and check those out. But You've got to get your dog on a spot. Let's just run over it really quick. You know, we'll, we'll kind of we'll kind of run through it. We have to have our dog on a spot. When that doorbell rings, they're going to bark. I'm going to say, hey, go to your spot, sit, stay. Now, the thing with trick-or-treaters is we're not inviting the guests in. So it's the perfect chance, perfect opportunity, rather, to teach your dog that, uh, that spot command and really, 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 you know, hone in on it. Because they're just going to sit on their spot and pretty much live there for a while. <laughs> And you're going to reward them over and over and over. Every time that door rings, you open it up. They sit and stay on the spot. You're going to say, good stay. You're going to give the kids their treats. You're going to close the door. Good stay. Then you can release them. Next kid comes to the door. Go to your spot. Sit, stay. Before you know it, the doorbell's going to be ringing. They'll, they'll bark a little bit by the end, but they're not going to be going nuts. It's going to become so much less overexciting than it was by the beginning of the night. And then you'll discover the next day or the day after when somebody comes to the door, you've got control all of a sudden. Because you practiced it like a hundred times over and over and over and over and over in one night where you got to desensitize them over and over and over and that doorbell got to ring over and over and over and they hit their spot over and over and over and they got rewarded over and over and over. See what I'm getting at? <laughs> I loved working dogs on Halloween. Not to mention, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bragging here. You open the door and somebody sees like 10 dogs lined up all sitting and staying. It was pretty cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. It was always a lot of fun. Um... And, of course, then there's the aspect of everybody's in costume. It gets your dog used to that, uh, which we're going to touch on that in a second as well. Okay, you know, that that actually, you know, let's just let's get right into it. Costumes, they can be scary to dogs. We all know it. The masks, those kind of things. So how do you approach this stuff uh, with trying to not make your dog scared? Look, we see videos a lot, which <laughs> the shock value, I guess, or whatever clicks People will try to purpose, they're not purposefully trying to scare their dog, and at the same time, yet they are, um, you know, whatever, where they will come around the corner with the mask, you know, a Halloween mask on, and they're not like jumping out at their dog or anything, but they come around the corner, and the dog doesn't recognize them and maybe gets anxious. 
Now, I think you're kind of playing with fire a little bit there, you know, <laughs> strange person. Luckily, dogs' noses usually take over and they know it's you, but they still don't trust it because they can't see you. You look different. Uh, but anyway, I, guys, that's one of the worst things you can do. You're just setting yourself up for failure to do something stupid like that. I'm sorry. Look, if your dog is the sweetest, most gentle dog in the world, do you really want to make them anxious? You know what I mean? Like, oh, they're not going to bite me, David. Well, maybe not. But do you really want to make your dog scared? Like, I, I don't know. So... The best way you can do it is by taking the mask out, just holding it in your hand, not making a big deal, and just walk around the house with it in your hand. Let your dog smell it maybe, give them a treat for smelling it, not you know, whatever. And then take it and like hold it on your hand so it maybe looks a little more like a face, you know what I mean? So you're kind of holding it up and give them treats, get them used to it. Okay, then maybe kind of put it near your face, next to your face, giving them treats so it's not making a big deal. If they get nervous at any point, go back to the last place you had success. Put the mask back down by your side, let them come over and sniff it, give them treats. Okay. All we're trying to do is kind of see it's the same thing as the front door. It's all it's all the same stuff. We're trying to desensitize them to this. So when the mask comes out, it's not a big deal. When they see it on somebody's face walking around, it's not a big deal. But we have to build them up to that slowly. I can't just pop the mask on my face, come around the corner and go, hey, why aren't they used to this? <laughs> come on. Uh, so you have to work them up to it slowly. Bring the mask out. Just let them see it crumpled. You know, that's what's not like looking like a face at them. Start really slow, then build it up. Then once I'm next to my face with the mask, then maybe I'll put the mask on and say, hey, good boy, give them a treat. This way they learn it's not a big deal. Okay. Um, because think about it. Halloween night can be a little, a little scary for a dog. It's dark out. They may not be able to see the best. There's a lot of people. There's not normally that many people out in your neighborhood at that time of night. It may make your dog uneasy. Maybe not, you know. Um, but you have to think of it as if you can desensitize them to as many of these factors as possible, then come Halloween night, it's not such a big deal anymore. Okay? That's what it's all about. Setting your dog up to kind of fail in order to create success and then another success. And then we reinforce and strengthen that success. And before you know it, that becomes the normal behavior. Okay. But we have to do this before Halloween, right? We have to start pulling out the mask before Halloween slowly. Uh, we have to start taking these things slowly, teaching them the spot command uh, with our front door exercise slowly, making sure we're keeping treats and food out of uh, reach not slowly. That should be quickly. Okay. <laughs> Instantly on that one, guys. Uh, but there are some things to think about with Halloween that you may not have considered. To me, first and foremost, without a doubt, I just have to reiterate it again. The most important one is keeping that chocolate and those sweets out of reach. Don't forget to check your peanut butter for xylitol as that can be very toxic for dogs. And don't forget, a lot of candies are now made with xylitol as well. So please be cautious. Please make sure you're keeping this stuff out of reach from your dog. Very, very important. With that said, I do hope you guys enjoy a wonderful Halloween. Again, one of my favorite holidays. It's a time to just get out there, have some fun, enjoy your neighborhood, enjoy your neighbors, um, get to know each other again, maybe, guys. That's maybe what we all should be doing more of. Uh, and I think Halloween is sort of one of those great mediums that kind of brings everybody together because it's just plain fun. It's just a holiday that has really evolved into just having fun. So get out there, have a happy Halloween, and have some fun. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. 
No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, extending the stay. So getting your dog to stay is one thing. But getting your dog to stay for a long time, or maybe if you disappear out of sight, well, that's a little tougher. So we're going to talk about that today. Now, everybody usually works a stay with their puppy, and they do okay with it. But I think the biggest thing, the biggest flaw I see in people training their stays is that they don't do it long enough, and there's another big one, they don't teach a release command. And what I mean by this is, normally people will teach a sit, and then they'll go stay, and then they'll go, good boy, or good girl, and the dog pops up in excitement, and that's it. And so the problem becomes is they don't really have a way to tell their dog to keep staying, right? So they actually inadvertently teach their dog that the stay means stay for like a period of five seconds and then we're done. (laughs) Okay, so I think it's very important that people do teach a release word. Let's talk about this for a second. Now, anytime you ask your dog to do something, a sit, a stay, a leave it, uh, uh, anything, they should continue doing that until you release them. Now, my release word is all right. So if I'm exiting the house with a dog on leash, I'm going to say, hey, sit, stay, open the door. All right, we go out the door. Uh, Feeding time, sit, stay. Okay, they're going to look at me. Bowl of food is on the ground. They're watching me, not the food. All right, release them to the food. How about I have a puppy who I'm getting out of the crate? Going to open the crate up, stay. Good stay. Leash them up, do whatever I need to do, put the collar on so that way we're not crazy and they're not going around. Okay, then they stay nice and then all right. That's what the release word does for us. It allows us to create control and communicate in a very black and white manner to our dog. Hey, this is what I need you to do. And when I'm done needing you to do it, all right, done. Very black and white. And what ends up happening is people teach good boy and good girl as a release word. And they don't even realize it. Yeah. But what I need, I need a way to tell a dog, keep doing that. Keep doing that. In order to extend, how in the world am I going to extend a stay with a dog if I don't have a way to convey to them, keep doing that, keep doing that. And again, most people kind of train good boy, good girl is like, keep doing that. You've done that right. But it also ends in excitement and overexcitement. And we're done doing it. And all of a sudden it turns into who cares what we're doing. And that's what it, madness. That's what, that's what I see over and over and over. But instead, what I train is, I want good boy to mean keep doing that. Okay, so I'm going to say, hey, sit. Good boy. They see they sat down. I want them to keep sitting. Good boy. Okay, and then I'm going to give them a treat. And I'm going to say, stay. And I'm going to back away one step. And then I'm going to say, good stay. Because I want them to keep staying. Right? I don't want them to pop up. I want them, good stay. And then I walk in and give them a treat. I take one more step back and remind them, stay. They keep staying. Good, stay. Good boy. Walk in, give them a treat. Good boy. Back up, 
two steps, stay. They keep staying, good, good boy. They keep staying, good boy. Walk in, give them a treat. Back up three steps, stay. Good, good stay, good boy. See how it goes? So it's allowing me to effectively communicate with my animal, with my dog, what I like, what I don't like, what I want them to keep doing, okay? And when I don't, and then once I'm done, all right, they get up, we're released. That's when we go, good boy, make a little excitement. It allows me to run through a routine with them. It allows me to get more than just a fleeting moment of a sit and a stay for five seconds. It allows me to communicate. I need you to keep doing that and extend what you're doing. And then once I release you, we're done. You see, you see how that can make more sense? We have to remember, dogs are very black and white animals. Their thinking is very black and white. It's this or it's that. It is or it isn't. To be or not to be. That's the question. Um, <laughs> okay, so we have to remember, with that simplistic black and white thinking, I have to give information that, that they can perceive in those terms. Right? Does that make sense? See what I'm saying? So again... In order to get an extended stay, I have to I have to check a couple things off the box off the list here. Ready? The first thing is they have to know what a stay means. It's the first thing. I need them to understand what a stay is. Once they understand what a stay is, I need to be able to strengthen that stay and reinforce and extend the stay. If I don't have a word that conveys keep doing that in order to extend the stay, then they're not going to understand then it makes it really hard to get my dog to keep staying if they don't understand. I want them to keep doing that. Said, like, <laughs> okay, there's another check. And then the third thing I'm going to need is to let them know I'm done needing them to stay. Release word. Okay, so without checking these things off, it's going to be very difficult to get your dog to stay and continue staying and stay when you leave and stay when a stimulus walks by and stay when because they don't understand you want them to continue staying. Again, most people actually inadvertently train it as the dog thinks they're not supposed to keep staying. Crazy, I know, but like that that's, right? <laughs> that's the behavior that be, that is being reinforced. That's what you convey by telling your dog good boy means release, we're done, craziness, okay. So again, I don't even wanna keep running in circles here, but I want you to be able to see this, okay? It's very important. So in order to extend the stay, I have to be able to check those things off the list. Okay, so again, we start by teaching a stay that we're only step five feet back. We start extending it to 10, 15 feet away, so on and so forth. Now, what happens in all this time as we're teaching these? What happens when the dog pops up? What happens when they get up, right? That's when I'll get, well, David, he doesn't stay. What do I do? You put him right back in the exact, this is why, this is also why I recommend a spot command. This is also why I recommend teaching a spot command because it gives them a reference point. And that way, if they do pop up off the spot, off the dog bed, I can put them right back on that reference point on the dog bed saying, hey, no, go back, right? Pick up the leash, put them back on their spot, say, sit, stay. Oh, David, you didn't say that side note that I should have started with and led this whole segment with. Guys, as always, <laughs> when we are training our dogs, they should be leashed up. They should be leashed up. It's very simple. So that way, if they do pop off their spot, boom, not a problem. Pick up the leash, guide them back, say, go to your spot, sit, stay, and we go right back to where we were. Now, there's nothing wrong with pairing a word, no. You can say no when they pop off their spot. If you've asked for that stay and they get up, you say, hey, no, go back. I Sometimes I, I snap my fingers a lot to redirect them, okay, to hone in that focus. Hey, nope, watch me, good. Go back, go to your spot. Get them on their spot. Good boy. Sit. Good boy. Stay. Try it again. 
when you're training a dog, when you're training any animal for that matter, but when you're training a dog and you're progressing in your training and you get to a point where all of a sudden the dog goes backwards, right? They popped off their spot because you got to 10 feet away. They couldn't, they could handle eight, but not 10 feet. Go back to eight feet, put them back on their spot and go back to eight feet as opposed to trying to get back to that 10 feet. You see them go back to the last place you had success before you try to move forward in it again. Really important with teaching an extended stay because most people try to just walk away from the dog and turn their back completely again and go 10 feet away and the dog's popping up again before you know it. And before you realize that you're creating that pattern of the dog thinks, oh, every time they walk 10 feet away, I'm supposed to pop up and follow them. Inadvertently strengthening that behavior. Okay. So very important, very, very, very important that we teach our dogs these specifics, right? A sit, a spot, a stay. Okay. A release word. And of course, a word to say, hey, keep doing that. We got, we call, look, we call that a bridge. I mean, that's that's what good boy and good girl means. We're not gonna dive off, <laughs> we're not gonna dive off the bridge today uh, and talk about the bridge too much, but essentially just kind of visualize it like this, right? The it's like the visualization, the metaphor, if you will, for it is that we're gonna cross a bridge. Okay. <laughs> All right, here's what we're doing today, guys. We're crossing a bridge. On the other side of the bridge is the end desired behavior that the dog that, that we're looking for. So it's an extended stay, right? So I have to look at it as in order to get my dog across that bridge, in order to teach my dog to cross that bridge to the to the, to that behavior, I have to bridge them there. I have to keep get them across the bridge by saying, hey, good boy, good boy, good boy. And then once they reach the end of the bridge and they continue the good behavior, boom, that's when I give them a treat. Now, interesting side note, there is actually, it's funny, this is actually the second time this happened. There's a question on the Q&A where we're going to talk a little more about the bridge today uh, because they're having kind of a specific issue and I wanted to touch on that a little bit. Um, so we're going to talk more about that in the Q&A a little bit later this, uh, this to, on today's episode. Um, but getting, you know, getting back to it, essentially, again, to get a dog across the bridge, I have to tell them, hey, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep going across the bridge. Good boy, good boy, good boy. Then they get to the end of the bridge, boom, treat, reward. That's what a bridge is. A bridge allows us to say, hey, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that, and then here's the reward, right? Okay, so that's what a good boy and a good girl should mean. It should mean keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that, reward, keep doing that, keep doing that, keep doing that, reward, (laughs) okay? That's what training is. You should try to tell your dog is in many ways possible, keep doing that and strengthen those behaviors. All right, so that's how we start extending the stay then we can start trying to get 10, 20, 30 feet away. If your dog consistently stays with you moving around the dog bed, then we can try circling around the dog bed, going behind them. That's a good That's a good trigger right there, right? If you start to move behind your dog, a lot of times they want to pop up to look at you. Nope, they need to learn to sit and stay, turn their head. They can watch you just fine. They don't need to get up. Another way we extend the stay, okay? So start moving around, making sure they understand it doesn't matter if I'm over here, it doesn't matter if I'm over there, it doesn't matter if I'm above you, behind you, below you, you sit and stay. Okay. Once your dog is mastering these skills from 10, 20, 30 feet out around the spot, first of all, we could even remove the spot at this point. You don't even need it. You can just put them in a sit or lie down and stay and start working these. That's another thing, not just to sit and stay, try working to lie down. Your dog will most likely end up lying down um, on the dog bed, which is fantastic because that means they're relaxing and that's what we want. Okay. So you can start working it like that. Then comes the big one, getting out of sight. That becomes a little harder. Now, you keep it really simple to start with, you know, you just walk around the corner, 
That's it, right? You've been working this day so well that you should be able to just get around the corner, stay there for like five seconds, come back around. If they're still staying, you say, good, give them a treat and keep reinforcing and strengthening the behavior. So on and so forth, guys, around the corner for five seconds. Next time it's going to be around the corner for 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds. I disappear for a minute. Now with technology, we can set up a camera. You can actually watch your dog, pull out your cell phone and see if they're still sitting there. Love it. Let's use technology in our favor here uh, and work with training with our dogs. We really want to get fancy schmancy. I could get <laughs> I could get a wireless treat dispenser and start rewarding my dog without me even being in the room. Uh, <laughs> but you even can tell your dog, good boy, good stay from around the corner because you can visually see that they're still there. Okay, These are the different ways we can work through extending the stay and teaching them that no matter what happens, you have to stay. Okay, Now, I prefer to start extending the stay in the house. I want to start at home, start inside, start in a controlled environment, then maybe move outside of the backyard, then maybe move to the front yard. And if we're going to do that, we're going to put an extendable leash on them to make sure they're staying safe. Okay, then we can start working out in public a bit, dropping the leash and not going far, teaching them to stay. Or how about just going out into public, teaching them a sit, stay, and letting distractions go by, right? Same concept, guys. If they get up, nope, we put them back in a sit, redirect them, maybe a little collar direction, sit, stay, reward again. Now, if you get into public and your dog starts maybe getting a little overexcited at some of these distractions, well, guess what? We can always go back to using our, our redirections of turning and getting out of it. Look, when in doubt, guys, when in doubt, just turn and walk away. Turn and walk away, try to hit the reset button to regain some focus, and then turn around and try to go back toward, toward the distraction, try it again. Okay, if they start getting a little too hyped, boom, get yourself out of there, turn and walk away. Okay, this is how um, we can start extending our stays and kind of a leave it here too, right? We're working to leave it. Look, one of my favorite things to do is to go to the pet store and work a, uh, work a stay. First of all, how many distractions at the pet store are there? <laughs> Just smells from treats and toys alone. Now try this definitely the more dead times a day. First thing in the morning is a good time to work this. Not a lot of people there, so it's good to do it then. Um, but I used to love to try uh, to work a, a stay. Put them in the middle of the aisle, lie down, stay. Now again, guys, you should only be practicing out in public like this if your dog is absolutely phenomenal at home with the stay. Is absolutely phenomenal with you leaving the room and you can leave the room for three minutes and your dog doesn't move. But if you haven't mastered these skills at home, you really should not be doing this out in public. Throwing that out there. Um, but I'll put my dog in a sit and stay in the middle of the aisle, I'll walk around the corner, stay there for a second, turn around and come back. Okay, it was an awesome thing. Uh, I, used to, I used to go out to a pet store up in Orlando uh, way years ago, and I'd set up a table, you know, an advertised kind of thing on the weekends, and they had adoptions and stuff. And I, I, I loved it. I'd actually put one of my guys in a sit and stay. I realized I was like, oh, I need, I'm out running out of treats. I need to go grab a bag of treats. Colby, sit, lie down, stay. I would literally disappear for like two or three minutes in the back of the store, go find my treats, and he would sit there like a good boy and not even move. When I came back, still sitting there waiting for me, okay? Because we practiced. We practiced that extended stay a lot. Practice makes perfect, guys. Your extended stay, and I have to say it, I have to, your extended stay will never get anywhere without practice, without repetition, and without consistency, and without being firm. There's nothing wrong with being firm. Don't be mean, just mean it, as I always like to say, right? Haven't said that in a long time. Man, it's overdue. As I always like to say, haven't said that in a long time. Uh, <laughs> how ridiculous do you sound? Don't be mean, just mean it. But there's nothing wrong with being a little firm if they keep getting off the bed or they're, you know, nothing wrong with a little correction. Put them back, lie down, stay, and reward it, okay? Remember, guys, it's all about balance. 
Use discipline and reward, okay? But extending the stay, more than anything, guys, it takes practice. It takes having the right tools, the right knowledge, and it takes practice. So get out there, extend your stay with your dog, and man, you'll be impressing people left and right. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today on The First Pets, we will be talking about Warren G. Harding. Now, Warren G. Harding was in office from March 1921 until August of 1923. His presidency was cut short when he died of most likely a heart attack. Now, his wife didn't have an autopsy done, and doctors at the time, they weren't as familiar with the symptoms and signs of heart attacks. The Hardings did have a few pets while he was in the White House. The first might have actually already been living on the grounds before they moved in. Pete. Yes, Pete was a pet squirrel of the president's. Now, Pete learned to eat out of people's hands, and he would often be seen running around the halls of the White House. He even attended press conferences and news conferences. Now, it turns out Pete may have actually more likely been a petunia, as she had a litter of kits who lived in a nest on the grounds. Now, after the president's death, it's assumed that the squirrel went back to living outside full-time. Now, funny enough, Harding was not the only president to have a pet squirrel named Pete. President Harry Truman also kept a pet named Pete the Pet Squirrel. (laughs) Harding also had some more normal pets. He did have two dogs, Laddie Boy, an Airedale Terrier, and Old Boy, an English Bulldog. Laddie Boy ended up becoming somewhat of a celebrity. There's many pictures of Laddie Boy posing with famous people and all kinds of visitors to the White House. He was the first dog to be regularly covered by the press. In fact, yes, he was a loyal dog. He would even retrieve, I love this, golf balls for the president when he played. You know, that actually happened to me once. I was on a golf course and a dog came out from my house. I'm not even joking. Came out and started getting, grabbing our golf balls off the golf course. And the guy told us that he he trained the damn dog to do that. (laughs) Okay. Maybe you put a leash on your dog. Uh, Now, supposedly, um, uh, excuse me, (laughs) got a little distracted. The president and the first lady were big advocates for neglected and abused animals, and Laddie Boy was made into somewhat of a poster child of sorts to bring awareness to the issues. Now, supposedly in the three days leading up to Harding's death, the dog howled nonstop, sensing that something was wrong. A memory of the president in honoring his previous employment once as a paperboy, newsboys collected 19,134 pennies that were remelted and sculpted into a statue of Laddie Boy. Now, the statue was completed in 1927 and presented to the Smithsonian Institute. After the president's death in 1923, Laddie Boy, he was still a young and spry pup, you know, and the first lady, she knew with her health starting to fail, she would not be able to give him the best care and attention that he really deserved. So she ended up giving him to Harry Barker, uh, kind of an appropriate name if you think about it. <laughs> now, Harry Barker was her favorite Secret Service agent, so Harry took the dog home to his family in Boston, where he lived a normal life with his loving family until the age of eight. The answer to today's trivia question, how long do bears hibernate? It depends. (laughs) Yes, a lot of factors actually go into determining the amount of time that a bear will hibernate. Now, grizzly bears, they tend to live in more harsh and cold environments with winters that last longer, and they can hibernate up to seven months per year. While the black bear might be living along the coast or further south, they may only hibernate two to five months out of the year. Some bears may not even hibernate at all, depending upon food availability. And while we all kind of think of hibernation as bears being completely passed out asleep and not moving for months on end, 
in actuality, bears might get up and roam briefly to find food or just to shift around in their den. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. First question today comes from Carolyn. Carolyn says, I've been listening to your podcast and we are now walking for one hour during the day and one hour at night. <laughs> That's awesome. I have a Bernie's Mountain Doodle and right now we use a gentle leader. And sometimes when we're in the neighborhood, he'll know we're coming along a house that has dogs and he starts to get excited. I've been considering using a shot collar or maybe there is another tool I should be considering. He's definitely treat-oriented, so if I have a treat in my hand, he knows and will walk past the dog and he gets one. But if I don't have full control over him, he decides hell with the treats, well, then it's hard to control him because he is about 84 pounds. So my question is, will a shock collar help? Well, thank you for sending in this question, Carolyn. You know, look, the first thing we have to talk about is definitely the shock collar. I mean, that's the main question here. And, you know, look, I'll be honest, a shock collar is not my favorite tool to go to. I actually have never used a shot collar in all my years training dogs. And to be honest, I have no plans on using one in the future either. <laughs> um, you know, look, to me, it kind of comes down to the fact that dogs are not naturally shocked in the wild to create uh, a form of punishment. And I know I can hear critics out there going, David, dogs don't live in the wild. Well, first of all, yes, they do. Dogs that live on the street or strays are technically dogs living in the wild. So you want to go there, domestic dogs do live in the wild. So, meh. Um, <laughs> so, no, to me, it, it's not a natural correction. It's not something they naturally, instinctually understand and know how to cue into. And I look, I have seen, and I don't know from other people's experiences and from client experiences that have used shot collars in the past, Shot collars can downright make the behavior worse. Uh, you know, look, if your dog gets overexcited when it sees the neighbor's dog sometimes, that overexcitement can manifest, you know, it's already in an overexcited state. And look at it this way, if it's already in an overexcited state and then you shock the dog, they don't know what that is. It sends them into a more panicky state combined with the already overexcited state. You can actually unknowingly create aggression with shot collars. Okay, so that's that's one of my biggest things. And the thing is, you won't know. You won't know until you utilize the tool. I've heard other instances where people say, oh, the shot collar instantly fixed everything. Well, that's great. Here's my other gripes with the shot collar. Well, I already told you my first one. Here's another one. Uh, what happens when the shot collar fails? What happens when it doesn't work right? What happens when you forget the remote? What happens when the battery's dead on the collar? What happens when the battery's dead on the remote? What happens when the tool doesn't function properly? There's too many variables and too many ways for that tool to fail for me to want to rely on that as a consistent tool. So... Shot collars are not really my favorite thing. Now, look, the gentle leader, I've said my gripes on gentle leaders before. They're, they're not my favorite tool. Some people find them helpful. I don't. I don't think they're the tool to be used. That's just me. Uh, if you're asking what tool I'm recommending, I would say you always should start, at least, to start with a martingale collar. Now, look, you did say your dog's 84 pounds, so I can almost guarantee if you feel like you physically don't have very good control over him and he's 84 pounds, a martingale collar may not be enough. Okay, I want you to start there because I would prefer you start minimal and go up from there rather than overdo it uh, when you don't need to. Okay, so you start with a martingale collar, then you go up to a choke collar. From the choke collar, it goes to a prong collar. Now look, I don't love the prong collars. It's not my favorite tool to use. At the same time, there are instances where it's required. 
Okay, look, you need that behavior that your dog is doing to decrease. And the only way to get that behavior to decrease is through some form of punishment. It's just the reality of it. What's the definition of punishment? Anything an animal works to avoid. And so if you put a tool, a collar, a gentle leader, or whatever, if you put a tool on the dog in an attempt to control them, in an attempt to decrease that behavior that they're doing, and it doesn't work, then by definition, it's not a punishment, and it's not going to stop that behavior because they don't work to avoid it. That's why there are some instances where, yes, an 84-pound dog might require a choker collar or a prong collar. Now, you know, really quick in a nutshell, I'm going to try to run through this. Uh, we have to talk about bridging the behavior because we kind of talked uh, talked about it earlier on this episode and we're going to kind of discuss this right here. Uh, bridging the behavior. You know, you're already doing it. You're on the right track. But what you're probably missing out on is getting your dog's focus before you even get to the house or before the house is even in play at all. So what I'm getting at is, yeah, have the treats on you. I love that. You're already, you're already going the right direction there and that's fantastic. Uh, but what I want you to do is try to get your dog's focus before you get to that house. Okay, so um, kissy noise calling their name, getting them to look at you, and feeding them a reward. When you step two feet out of your house for the walk, I want you to start regaining focus right then and there. Hell, before you even walk out the door, okay? Try to gain focus. Now, you can go back and listen to some of my other segments on the walks, on focus. There's a lot of good information in there about how to make this happen, and it dives deeper into it. But basically, you want to create that focus, keep that focus, and that way, once you approach the house, you can just go... Look at me, they look up at you, you say, good boy, and you keep walking past the house, good boy, and then they ignore the house, good boy, and then once you pass the house with the crazy dogs, you stop and give a treat. You're on the right track, but you have to be able to bridge that behavior through it, otherwise you lose control, right? So, okay, first and foremost, create the focus. Once you've created focus, you walk toward the trigger. As you're approaching the trigger, you keep focus and reinforce and bridge that behavior saying, good boy, good boy, good boy, get across the bridge to the end so you can get your reward treat at the end. See what I'm saying? Bridge it with that praise, with the affection, and then in the end, give the food the big reward in the end. Okay, uh, that's kind of the nutshell version of it. I know I'm kind of giving you a lot of info there, uh, but see if that helps. Again, though, shot collars, really not my go-to tool. I've never used them, no plans to use them. I prefer you don't use them. Um, there are a lot of other great tools out there that can help you. Uh, but if you have any other questions, feel free to send it on over. Next question. This comes from Ingrid from Chicago, Illinois. Ingrid says, thank you for creating this podcast. It has helped me with my dog and our walks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Uh, he is a wonderful dog. He's focused on the walks now. He listens to commands. He's quiet. He is just the best buddy ever. But he won't stop chewing his paws. <laughs> it does seem to be worse, uh, the worst after the walks. So I don't know if he has allergies or maybe there's something else going on. I know I heard you previously say that this can sometimes be behavioral. So I wasn't sure which it is. Uh, Ingrid, awesome question. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah, you know, the, the chewing of the paws, it can be behavioral, but being that you see a correlation to going outside, it sounds like this may be allergy related. Now, allergies in dogs, they can be tough to diagnose. They really can. It's not to say that your dog doesn't have allergies. There are instances where there are dogs that are actually allergic to grass, which I mean, poor dog, you know, <laughs> like that just stinks to be a dog and be allergic to grass, man. Um, so yes, there are those instances. Maybe it's just a specific weed or a specific flower or something that's blooming. Uh, there are cases of that where it can be irritating to your dog's paws. Couple solutions, you know, the first and foremost, easiest, cheapest, most straightforward solution, put some booties on your dog. And actually, I would almost recommend doing this just as an experiment. 
you got to get your dogs used to the booties, but hey, that's a different story. Um, but you want to put some booties on your dog's dog for a little while. Take them for your normal walks in your normal spots. Bring them back. Take the booties off. See what happens. See if he continues to itch his paws. Because if he doesn't itch his paws, you know, and you consistently wear the booty, make him wear the booties for a week or two, and you notice he's not itching his paws, boom, there's your answer. Something outside, right? Uh, now, there are great allergy meds. Maybe try wiping. There's another solution. You come back inside, get some baby wipes, or they even have these great dog wipes now uh, where you can actually wipe their pads and wipe their paws. Not the easiest thing. You know, you got to grab all four paws each time, in and out, and every time you take them out. It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's why the booties might be a little bit easier. Uh, but these are options to try to at least eliminate factors. The other option is you got to go talk to your vet. There are some great allergy meds out there now that are not even too expensive. Uh, I've had a lot of clients have great success with Apoquil. That's more, I think that's more skin related. Though I don't know if, again, this is where I am, not the vet. Um, please contact your vet on that and see. But yeah, from a behavioral standpoint, you can eliminate if this is behavioral or if this is allergies or something like that. Could be a skin irritation. I mean, that's the thing. There's a few things it can be. So you got to talk to your vet, but there's nothing wrong with trying to eliminate some of those behavioral aspects or biological aspects by throwing booties on, cleaning the paws, those kinds of things, and seeing what happens. So uh, by all means, talk to your vet, but hopefully, uh, hopefully some of that helps. It's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or follow button, do so right now. And if you love what you're hearing, give me that five-star rating. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Oh, 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 oh